our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Canelo Alvarez of sports business podcasts, The Sportacast. Ooh, what, what does that mean? What is, if we are the Canelo Alvarez? We're the pound-for-pound the- pound undisputed champion oh, of okay. multiple weight classes, Scott. All that right, is us. well, but the only problem... And you and I go to great pains, and that means about 30 seconds, of planning the show's order and everything. And we're scheduled to talk Canelo last. Let's do it and last. So More we'll on just that tell later, everybody. But let's start with. <laughs> we're going to come back to Canelo Alvarez. But if you're ever dealing with a Ziggy, you, ha- you have to start with Ziggy. And in this case, the Ziggy is Wilf. And the Wilf family uh, owns, of course, the Minnesota Vikings of the NFL. And they soon will own a soccer team. Our reporting tells us, Eben, that they are close to buying Orlando City of Major League Soccer. Yeah, a uh, a property that they've been interested in MLS for a long time. If you remember, Scott, back in 2013-14, when MLS was expanding to Minnesota, the Wilfs were part of were, were one of the groups looking to be the owner in Minnesota. Obviously, MLS went a different direction, uh, but the Wilfs then bought a minority stake in Nashville SC. Mark Wilf, who is Ziggy's brother, has represented Nashville at, at MLS board meetings. It's clear that this is a family and a group of sports investors who have been pretty bullish on MLS for a while. And finally, it appears they're getting their product. They will buy Orlando uh, Orlando City SC, as you said, from Brazilian entrepreneur Flavio Augusto da Silva. Uh, and they will be another crossover MLS investor, a, an NFL ownership group that also owns an MLS team, which seems like a, a good result for MLS as well. Yeah, I was really hoping to be able to say Flavio Augusta da Silva first, but you beat me to it. A little housekeeping, uh, in case you're wondering, because you did say they own a stake in Nashville. Yes, they must sell that stake. That, that's a housekeeping. It absolutely has to be done. Uh, and the price. Uh, not only are they getting the uh, MLS team, but the stadium and the NWSL pride. So uh, our sources are telling us this deal could be in the 400 to $450 million range. Uh, Evan, my how MLS has grown up. Remember the days we were talking 10, 25 million, like David Beckham got a great deal as part of his coming to MLS. He got to buy the Miami rights for 25 million. But we, we are talking significant sums of money. And uh, that, that is certainly, uh, at least from the Wilf point of view, whether it's cross ownership, um, synergies, 
they they see value even at these numbers. Yeah, and to put that number in perspective, I believe the reporting out there for Charlotte, the the newest MLS team, is that their expansion fee was three twenty five. So Scott, that's a three hundred twenty five million dollar expansion fee. Here in the in the four hundred million dollar range, you get the team, you get the stadium, you get the NWSL team as well. This kind of pre baked uh, for all, honestly not that much more money than the three twenty five that Charlotte spent. Um, and there's a lot of optimism around MLS about the Orlando franchise. It's they drew over sixty thousand fans to a few different games at the Citrus Bowl in their early years. There's obviously a very large Hispanic population in Florida. Uh, it's a fairly large media market as it is. Uh, the team has not been very good, but I think the expectation is they made the playoffs, I think, for the first year, for the first time last year. Um, but the expectation, I think, is is if the Wolves do indeed close this deal and if they can infuse some capital and, and the team becomes uh, a, a player on the MLS level, I think there's a lot of expectation that the market uh, will bear a very successful franchise. And something else that was sort of a, a hurdle, we'll say, towards the deal, but it is not anymore, that Albert Friedberg um, had a right of first refusal. He was a limited partner in, in the team, and he agreed to sell his stake back to the club, in essence saying, all right, I'll get out of the way. <laughs> he could have met terms and bought control of the team, but he decided, I'll, I'll sell it to the team. Um, I wonder if his stake went for this valuation, the same valuation, right? Uh, but he will clear the deck, so to speak, so that the Will family can take control. Albert invested, I think, in 2018 at a higher valuation. I think the valuation he he bought in at was about 480. My guess would be that since he had a little bit of leverage here as 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 the one who could, even if the Wolves really wanted this franchise, as, as one who could, if he wanted to, raise some money and, and and buy it out from under them, my guess is he would have gotten some some favorable terms on whatever that transaction is. But yes, clearing that hurdle is a big one because as you said, Scott, there was a chance that they could have reached an agreement and it could have gone to Albert's desk and he would have said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Uh, and then there would be no soccer team here for, for for the Will family. So yes, an important part of this is that that right of first refusal is no longer a hurdle at all for getting this deal done. What do you think the outside view is going to be uh, in terms of the valuation and MLS and the ability for these teams to be profitable? Um, obviously, Soccer United marketing is, is a piece where you know owners get a lot of their revenue. Uh, is it is it a market size thing? Because also, uh, Real Salt Lake is also on the market, and we'll see who steps in to buy that franchise. A sale process being conducted by the league right now. Um, I'm just I'm very interested in sort of looking forward outside of your NFL. MLB, NHL, NBA. Um, still, uh, the, the room for growth with ML, MLS franchises, demographic shift in the US, one market over another. Very, very interested to see the, the future trajectory of franchise valuations there. Yeah, and it's let's not forget that MLS is still single entity. It's not exactly built in the same way that the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball is. There's some gray area there. You know, the Wolves can can buy a team from Flavio Augusto da Silva and and Silva can keep the profit of that sale. Um, so you know, the teams keep their own revenue or most of their own revenue, et cetera. Um, but yeah, there's no question that if you're investing in in MLS you're also investing in kind of the idea behind soccer in the United States. You mentioned Soccer United Marketing, a big part of that. Um, 
MLS was born, Scott, in the aftermath of the United States holding its first men's World Cup. There's another men's World Cup coming in just a few years uh, here in North America. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of excitement about the sport, the national team, if they qualify. Uh, MLS kind of all baked into this big lead up uh, to the World Cup happening here in the U.S. And I imagine that's going to lift all, all boats. So, yes, I would think that anyone investing in MLS right now, sure, part of it is is the market they're in, how viable they think the franchise is there. But there's also this this huge other part of it, which is just soccer in the U.S. and the ways in which an investment in MLS sets you up in a variety of different ways to capitalize on that. All right. Let's turn our attention toward a Churchill Downer of a story. Very good. You like that one? I mean, normally we don't do a lot of horse racing, uh, but the Kentucky Derby would be one, especially then Preakness and Belmont if there's a triple crown possibility. Uh, Medina Spirit goes out, wins the Kentucky Derby. Great story. Bought for like a thousand bucks. You know, came out of nowhere. Bob Baffert trained horse. Wow, amazing, right? Then the horse tests positive. For the record, Bob Baffert says, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know. Um, maybe the lab is wrong, or, but he, he denies any wrongdoing. Um, but now we're in this, this gray area of drugs in sport. Did he? Didn't he? Who knew what? Um, ju- a black guy for the sport that did not need a black eye. Right now, um, Medina Spirit, we'll see if if stripped of the title. Um, Bob Baffert has been suspended, cannot enter uh, another horse at Churchill Downs. And I guess if we're looking forward, will this horse be the Kentucky Derby champion going into the Preakness? Will the horse be allowed to enter the Preakness? At time of taping, Eben, uh, the folks at, at Pimlico have pushed back their pole position decisions uh, by 24 hours to uh, at least gather more information and see if Medina Spirit will indeed allowed to be entered into the race. Yeah, this is a, a mess, largely because we're, they're going to be waiting on a, a second drug test that isn't going to come before the Preakness on Saturday. And as a result, they're going to need to make some decision with incomplete information about whether this horse is allowed to run uh, on Saturday. I don't know much about horse racing, Scott. The, the two things that I do know one is that Bob Baffert is, is a big name and is a Hall of Fame trainer and is the potentially the biggest name training-wise in, in horse racing. Two, that there has always been a drug problem in sports. And to see those two things combine uh, is, not a, is not a great look. We might the, as well be talking the about the Tour de France, right? We might as well be talking about the Tour de France. Yeah, or like it's mid-90s baseball. Like, yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I, I am, yeah. you know, correct or not, uh, cynical enough to be thinking that this is probably happening everywhere in, in some capacity. And I mean, the elephant in the room here in some ways is that, is that this has happened with Bob Baffert for a long time. I read today that, that 30 of his horses have tested positive for drugs of various kinds in, in the last five years or last two years, I believe it's five different horses, some for beta methasone, which is the, the same anti-inflammatory drug uh, that was found in Medina spirit. Did you see Bob's most recent uh, potential explanation for this? That a a groom that Wait, was taking are you going cough on Fox syrup. News, the Fox News interview, or the, the oh, I saw. Oh, yes, 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 I saw his interview on Fox, which was great. Yeah, I saw that he was saying that a groom that was taking cough syrup may have urinated on hay that the horse eventually ate, right. which is uh, that's a new one for me in terms of uh, how to explain your positive drug test. Um, but no question, this is not the kind of attention horse racing wants right now at a time when I would think the you know viewership and enthusiasm for the sport is waning a little bit as well. Yeah, I, I just was a little confused also in an interview he gave 
where he was talking about cancel culture. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody tried to cancel his other horses that won, or I, I, I just a little confused as to what he means by, you know, the cancel culture of the horse, what the stripping of the title. I mean, if the horse tests positive and it is confirmed by a second test, um, should one not name Mandaloon the actual winner, you know, the second place horse? But I mean, you know this world better than I do. And, and I don't mean horse racing. I mean, sports betting. Hmm. I find this totally interesting that if you bet Medina Spirit and Medina Spirit now, for whatever reason, is found to have tested positive twice and is stripped, you still win your bet. You keep the money. And you also win if you took Mandaloon. <laughs> like if you didn't rip it up in a fit of rage, right? I, I, I think get it de- that. depends. They, I mean, the the way that, and it, it, this is a thorny issue, and this is something that the, the sports betting industry has and will, will forever have to wrestle with. Uh, the way the fine print typically works is you you get paid out based on the way the, the winner is set up at the time of, of the decision being made. And, and where you see this a lot, Scott, is the way that the NCAA will often vacate college football or college basketball wins uh, because of violations five years later, six years later, the, the sports betting industry doesn't obviously doesn't want to get to a situation where they are refunding money or changing winners six years later because USC was found to have given a Range Rover to a, to a college football star. Uh, so the way they typically work is yes. The once a winner is declared af- after a certain point, that's just the way the bet settles and that's it. Um, but I would imagine there maybe will already have been lawsuits about this exact thing. You know, we're, we're learning about this fairly quickly, right? The, the race happened just a few weeks ago. Um, and we're already learning that the, that the horse may have, uh, may have failed a drug test on the, on the morning of the, of the race. So yes, this is a, this is a thorny issue. A question for you, if they do decide to let this horse race in the Preakness on Saturday, do you think that boosts viewership? Are more people turning in because the, the potentially tainted horse is running for a triple crown or, or does that not matter? Are less people interested in tuning in? How do we think this affects kind of the buzz around the Preakness this weekend? All right. Stupid question from a person who doesn't really follow the sport. Is there any way the horse can run if it's stripped of the Kentucky Derby win? Can that still happen or no? Like the only way the like, horse can will it run, run that and, outcome and stands. not be competing for a triple crown because it didn't win the Kentucky Yes, Derby. that's the question. Because I, I would say the casual viewer is only interested in, the triple in a crown. possible triple crown. Interesting. Not so much in, yeah, it's not so much do I want to see this horse run again. And w- I, I don't believe that would be enough of a motivating factor for a huge number of eyeballs to be focused on, on the second leg of what, well, that's why it's the second leg of the triple crown because you want to see at least some horse going for uh, the second leg. So I would say no, that that Medina Spirit has to enter the Preakness as the Kentucky Derby champion or else viewership will go down. That makes sense to me, Scott. Let's move on. Uh, a transaction that happened last week that we reported on Genius Sports acquiring Second Spectrum video analytics firm backed by Steve Ballmer uh, for $200 million in a variety of, of cash and Genius Equity. Um, Scott, I know that you have taken part in some of the alternative live streams that the second spectrum has done with the Clippers. There's some obvious synergies here with, with the, with the data platform as well for genius sports. What do we make of the second spectrum genius tie up? Well, first I think we need to tell people the reason 
uh, that they did this beta testing with the Clippers is that Steve Ballmer, the owner of the team, is an investor in Second Spectrum. So uh, I thought it was as cool as can be that I downloaded Court Vision as a beta app, and they asked me to sort of just fiddle around with it, watch the game, see what I thought. <laughs> My takeaway, this is so perfect right down the, the lines of age, right where you would think it would be. The, the part I loved the most was you're watching the game, at least I'm watching on my phone, and above each player's head is a percentage number. And the algorithms were spinning, and it determined that if that player shot the ball from that position, what the percent success rate would be, right? But it's changing every step they take around the court. So I'm looking at this and getting dizzy like I'm riding some spinning roller coaster at the amusement park and my <laughs> my my tester you know my testing group of one my 11 almost to be 12 year old is looking at that going he should go there because look at the part when he, like last time he looked at it it was 82% over there but it was only 79 so he should take a step that direction and he's following it no problem so i would say that the clippers would be really and second spectrum would be really happy with that outcome that the young fan is looking at this. They're not looking this. for you. Yeah. yeah, they're not looking for me. They're, that the young kid is looking at this and as if he's watching the video games and he can tell up, down, all around. I get, I get dizzy when he's spinning around playing COD. That's the cool, bad way of saying Call of Duty. Um, I, I just get dizzy. I cannot track where I am. Up is down. So uh, it, it's great, cool technology for the way that people will consume this stuff in the future. Yeah, Second Spectrum, their specialty essentially is taking a video feed with cameras set up around an arena or a stadium and turning that into data. And one of the ways they do that is is exactly what you just described, which is kind of a rethinking of what the live viewing experience may be in the future. That is certainly one of the ways that Genius Sports envisions using this technology. We've talked ad nauseum on this podcast about the ways that sports betting and media are, are pairing up. Two other ways that this makes sense for Genius one, uh, using some of that data for sports betting. I think we'll see that in the future. Uh, if, if you could figure out how fast Steph Curry ran on his fast break and you could maybe place a wager on the fastest speed Steph will have uh, on the court, that might be something people are interested in. And then two, um, just kind of a, from a more traditional standpoint, the way that data gets used for more traditional broadcasts, I think we'll see that a lot more. When you hear announcers say, oh, you know, he was... If he had put that shot up from where he lifted his pivot foot, he's a 50% shooter, but you know he took one half a step closer and now he's a 65% shooter. That's often data that, that, that Genius Sports is providing using some of the same technology. So I see a lot of, uh, of synergies there, Scott. Yeah. yeah, and the company signed an exclusive deal with the NFL not long ago, and part of that was sort of this innovation lab technology facing forward uh, part of it. And this is what they're doing. They're, they're trying new things to see how they can drive engagement with tech. And this is just going to be one of many things I'm sure all these, these type companies um, are, are going to look at. I, I am totally fascinated by the link between biometrics and sports betting. That's mm. the one to, for me to be able to watch a basketball so thorny. game. Just, yeah. yeah, to have somebody on the foul line with a heart rate of 175 shooting two. And then you have, let's say, like a Steph Curry on the line with a heart rate of, you know, 72 <laughs> and shooting those same free throws. I am fascinated that even me, the old man, I would love to watch this, but that's where we're heading. That is how we're going to assimilate all the different sorts of data collection 
and the viewership experience, second screen, third screen, betting screen, whatever. That's where we're headed. Yeah, it's funny. In writing up the, the the this genius second spectrum deal, I had deja vu back to about a month ago when you and I reported that Sport Radar was buying Synergy Sports, which is, yep. in my opinion, a, a fairly similar video analytics company. The 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 value of data to power sports betting to power media, as we're talking about, is becoming so valuable that the biggest companies in this space, and you know, Sport Radar is the biggest and Genius Sports is the second biggest, there's so much M&A happening right now on the tech side to try to create better ways of making faster, more reliable, and ideally proprietary data streams. And Genius and Second Spectrum are clearly thinking they can do that together just in the same way that Sport Radar and Synergy uh, are expecting to, to do the same on their end. Just for the heck of it, I'll throw out some of the investors in Second Spectrum. Chernin Group, CA Ventures, and Elysian Park, which of course is Todd Boley and some of the other Dodgers owners. So I, I like it when those that are sport, either sports directly involved or sports tangential using tech to figure out how to scale not only inside of sport, but far beyond it as well. Tell me something that I need to know about Canelo Alvarez. Now, since you started it, this is the, the Canelo of, of podcasts, and we only have a couple of minutes to go. Tell me something about Canelo Alvarez. I think the thing he fought over the weekend beat Billy Joe Saunders uh, is one. It sounds like one belt away from being. Should the, I know Billy Joe Saunders? Like as a non-boxing fan, should I know who that is? I'm a medium boxing fan. He was undefeated. Um, he looked pretty good until until he didn't against Canelo on Saturday. <laughs> um, I don't think it was uh, Canelo was like an eight to one favorite. He was not a. This didn't seem like it was going to be a huge test for him. I think the interesting thing that that people across the sports world are paying attention to: seventy three thousand fans, Scott, entered AT and T Stadium in Dallas or right outside Dallas to watch this fight. It's the biggest crowd for an American boxing match ever, I believe. It is definitely the biggest live crowd that, that we've seen in the U.S. for a sporting event since the pandemic began. I would imagine any, anyone from NFL owners to MLB owners, anyone in sports and entertainment was looking at that crowd this weekend and thinking, yes, if we are closer to getting this type of enthusiasm for live events anywhere around the country, this is a good news for me and my business. Yeah, obviously there has to be optimism on vaccine rollout. Uh, but then there's always the question of will fans feel safe? You just don't know until you put the opportunity in front of them. 73,000 plus said, yeah, we're fine with this. Uh, there's a lot of pent up demand. And you and I speak to a lot of not only sports owners, but executives and the optimism after what had to be a gut punch of a year. The optimum, uh, the optimism out there now, excuse me, is just through the roof that Coming next year, the, the major leagues will all be playing before capacity crowds. That's, that, is, that is the feeling you get. Um, and it sort of changes the whole dynamic of everything. You know, from innovation to, to um, ju just the competition, the, the fans back in the seats, it, it's just not the same. And you know, you'll agree, you know, watching these games with, with muted fans. And I've now been to two New Jersey Devils games with like 2,000, 2,500, whatever it is, it's just not the same experience. It's, it's that simple. You go to a live sporting event for community, for the crowd, for, for the sense of belong, for the noise, and it's just not the same. So this is a, a healthy indicator that perhaps good things are on the horizon. 
do we think there's a halo effect coming here that that and I would consider myself to be in this group too? I'm excited to get back to a sporting event of some sort just to kind of have the experience. But I don't know if that's going to last particularly long. I, I do wonder if kind of the first series of big sporting events, Canelo, UFC sold out a, an, an event down in Jacksonville last week or two weeks ago, if these, this first opening is actually going to be fairly successful. But once the, the halo effect wears off, the truth is that maybe people aren't as willing to go as, as they used to. I wonder if that's a concern for, for the people who are all also rightfully excited about 73,000 people going to, uh, to Arlington for a, for a boxing match. Novi Williams going negative. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of pent-up demand and you'll have enough for a while. I, I don't think, ready for a big SAT word, I don't think this is an ephemeral enthusiasm. You can look it up Ooh. if you don't know Mr. Princeton. Thank you. Um, yeah, there, there, there's, there's pent-up demand there. People, people want to go. People want to do. People want to see. People want to experience. I would be incredibly surprised if the enthusiasm level did not last for some time. So there you have it. You're wrong. Tough. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Cora Veltman, our social director, makes me say that the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become, I promise, I know you're waiting for it, the hub of the Sportico Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.